Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast on the Fish Stripes Network. We have a very special podcast for all you stat heads out there for the very first episode of Fishology with myself, Adam, and Lewis. So for this podcast, we'll be breaking down, look for it almost every week, uh, players from 2022 Marlins and breaking down their season um, not looking at traditional stats, but we will be going on a deep dive, advanced stat for everyone out there who loves those deep dives. That's why I brought in Adam. That's why we have Lewis for this podcast. It'll be us three every week for this um, audio-only podcast. Adam, Lewis, uh, you guys ready for this? Yes, sir. Let's do it, man. Pumped. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, so for the first episode, where else to start but with aforementioned going to be the 2022 Cy Young Award winner Sandy Alcantara with one of the best seasons in Marlins history and if you like one of those people who like to look at traditional stats Sandy um, obviously some of the best traditional stats out there today 222 innings pitch 207 strikeouts 228 ERA 0.98 whip but for this podcast we are looking at the advanced stats the stats that you don't see on ESPN or any other ass to score or whatnot. We're going to go deep dive into that. Um, and we're going to start off with FIP. And with FIP, um, Lewis, I want you to give us just a little um, definition of maybe what FIP is, what goes into it, and maybe how Sandy's numbers 
look for in the FIP category for 2022. All right. So are you guys familiar with the Satchel Page story where I believe he was playing in a Negro League All-Star game or it may have been a World Series back in the early 40s. And I believe he loaded the bases and he called all of his fielders in and he said that he was going to strike out the side. Think of that as like the first thought that comes to your mind when you think of FIP. FIP really what it does is it accounts for all of the factors that a pitcher can control on their own. So hit by pitches, strikeouts, walks. If you want to use an example of how FIP may indicate luck per ch- by example, look at a guy like t- 2020 Taiwan Walker, who I believe posted an ERA below two, three, but his FIP was near four and a half because of his propensity to give up home runs. And I believe his walk rate was slightly above the league average that year. So when you're giving up runs, let's just say more immediate offense, or at least you're facilitating offense more by putting guys on, whether it's by hit by pitches or you're allowing home runs, uh, FIP will indicate that. And I guess Sandy's FIP, you know, what for the most part, when you have an ERA, you know, bordering on, in the low twos where he kind of sat for, or I guess he finished the season at it's, you know, he finished like Daniel noted at 2:28. given he doesn't have the propensity to put guys away, or at least he doesn't prioritize strikeouts. Even if you look at his numbers, he's kind of been an average to slightly below average strikeout pitcher for the duration of his career. I believe this year he had 8.1 strikeouts per nine innings. Again, if you're, that's still very productive. You could still be a very productive pitcher while putting without putting guys away. I'll uh, look at Greg Maddox, or even if you want to go back through baseball history, most of the great dead ball era pitchers didn't prioritize strikeouts, and that could be one reason that Sandy has kind of drawn a lot of those comparisons. But with that being said, his FIP is slightly higher than his ERA. And for the majority of his career, it, I believe every season, if you look at his ERA and FIP ratio, there's always going to be a variance because of what I noted and that he just doesn't have the propensity to put guys away, or at least he doesn't prioritize that. I might go to say that Alcantara might be the best pitcher in baseball right now. I think you might be right. It's a ground ball to first. Lewin's got it. And there's one away. Bouncer back to him, knocks it down, recovers, sidearm throw to first to get the out. <laughs> Sandy's 0-1, Novato, ground ball, first base. Lewin's got it, he'll take it himself. It's a Marlins win, and it's a shutout for Sandy Alcantara. So this year he had a 299 FIP. Again, if you can post a season where you're logging nearly Roy Halladay number of innings, you know, 220 mm-hmm. innings, and you're posting a FIP under or at three, there's no real way to cut and slice and say that you're a productive pitcher. You kind of just are, and it is what it is. I mean, you know, to still manage to strike out 200 batters is impressive, but he's doing it over the, you know, a larger volume of innings. But, you know, again, I guess he just kind of shows you that you don't need strikeouts. They're not the most imperative thing to pitcher success, but they do project well in the long term. And with his FIP, what do you guys see in terms of him and maybe the other guys in the NL race? Uh, would maybe you mentioned his FIP being a little higher. Would that just uh, be just adjusted for maybe the other guys in the NL Cy Young race, or is just his FIP is just that much better maybe than everyone else's? Well, if you look at yeah. like who oh, okay. is. And I'll let Adam 
chime in after. If you look at a guy like Julio Arias, he's kind of considered the 1A to Sandy's 1 in the Cy Young race this season. Julio's FIP is slightly higher than his ERA, and his ERA is, I believe, 0.12 runs lower. He finished the year with a 2.16 ERA, if I'm not mistaken. And his FIP is higher because he plays in a pitcher-friendly ballpark, but he also has um, been kind of bitten by the home run. And that bit him a lot earlier this year when he was struggling at the outset of the season. The velocity was down. And, you know, the FIP is more indicative that his ERA maybe should have been in the mid-threes rather than in the low twos where he's wound up. And again, FIP doesn't account for your defense. So obviously the Dodgers are a team that does tend to shift quite often. They'll be an interesting watch in 2022 with the new rules that kind of ban shifts and uh, defensive positioning. But again, you know, Arias kind of got lucky, if you want to say that. And that's why, you know, other metrics will say that he didn't accrue as much overall value because he was helped out a lot by his defense. And then factor in the fact that he gave a, a, a lot of home runs is one reason why his tip is slightly higher than his ERA or well higher than his ERA. Uh, Lewis, kind of just to kind of uh, kind of add on sequentially to what you were saying, I guess I wanted to kind of also introduce the concept of XFIP as well, which is quite literally the same exact kind of concept as FIP. You're isolating for your three true base outcomes, true three out, uh, base out outcomes, uh, which are your uh, strikeouts, walks, and home runs. Uh, with FIP, uh, the difference between XFIP and FIP is that with XFIP, you're actually taking into account with home runs. Instead of looking at home runs, you are looking at a fly ball to home run ratio, which is a little bit more theoretical, but it gives you kind of a better idea of what should have happened, hence the more expected idea and outcome. The rhetoric around Marlins media and around some Major League Baseball was that he was the like runaway, going to receive 25 plus votes out of 30. And to me, I just thought that was somewhat absurd because if you, could, if you took somewhat of a deep dive into his Fangraphs pitching statistics which if you look at their war and their cumulative stats in that regard, it takes into account what should have happened more than what baseball reference does. And that's what a lot of Marlins media has been biased looking at. And that's what I kind of wanted to point out at because I've always seen the B war pitching because it makes him look better, right? Because he's head and shoulders a Cy Young. If you look at just that, the real thing you should be looking at and why I still believe he's still like my Cy Young pick is that you really want to average the two because you really can't go wrong with either what you can, honestly, but if you really want to be partial to the true outcome and also have give some credence to what should have happened, which, which I think I've come to a, like at least give credence to and amend to and commend to, I think that's fine. So And in the end, Sandy still the, is still the signing award winner, which is why I stuck with him as my pick. But in the end, it paints a lot more clear picture as to why he may not be the best because of the, the underlying statistics, you see um, the reason why FIP is more uh, likable or more used and is more of a darling analytics stat is because ideally you want to put away the batter without him putting the ball in play. You want to like completely take away the possibility of him at reaching base at any cost. And the only way you can do that is you, if you strike him out, right? Um so that's why you value strikeouts much more than a ground ball pitcher, which is what Sandy is. Sandy's more of a finesse guy who's going to rely on his command control more than he is his strikeouts. And that's why you're seeing him potentially on the fritz and why his, um, if you were to lose that velocity and command and 
why you see other players such as a let's see a uh, Carlos Rodon or a Aaron Nola or Max Fried above him in that regard because their strikeout numbers are higher, their walk rates are lower, and even though Sandy's home run rate is almost elite, um, all these other guys that I just mentioned are pretty much hovering around that same area. So that's really the reason why I've been worried about Sandy Alcantara. But in regards, in the end of the day, if you want to average both of those wars, that's really what you should be doing. And in the end, it's still Sandy Alcantara, which is why he's had such a fantastic season. What Adam's kind of illustrating is that Sandy Alcantara is a finesse pitcher operating in a power pitcher body. He has the, the ability to throw 98 and 100 and kind of preserve that stuff. We've seen, we saw in his last start in Milwaukee, in that complete game, one nothing loss, he yeah. Throwing 100, 101 in the eighth inning, 100 plus pitches in outing. Sandy's 1 2. Blows him away 100 miles an hour. Back to back strikeouts for Alcantara. This at bat right here, he went slider, slider, 1 1 count, went 99 in sinker, and then off that goes four seam 100. You watch the Sandy Alcantara start. You know, if say one day he would throw a no hitter it's not it may not be the dominating type that we'd come to expect from say a, a max scherzer when he threw his two but with sandy a lot of it is just you know it's this he like i said he doesn't prioritize strikeouts his mo is pitching innings and he's able to pitch a lot of innings because of his efficiency i mean you look at his ground ball rate this year and it's the highest it's ever been in his career slightly above what it was last year but he is allowing ground ball. He, he has a 53.4% ground ball rate. He gets a lot of um, weak contact, a lot of that being because he's a sinker baller, so he's going to keep the ball on the ground. And like you said, Adam, he doesn't have, you know, he really hasn't been bitten by the home run this year. And when he has, it's generally been early in his starts, and he's been good at making adjustments. Just a note on how good he's been at preventing the long ball this year. I want to reference a piece actually just recently put out on, on fan or on fish stripes fan graphs. So we're so since the start of the twenty twenty uh the start of two thousand, the start of the new millennium, there have been fifty two seasons where a pitcher has thrown two hundred and twenty five innings and allowed less than twenty home runs. And Sandy was the most recent person to do that this year. The last person to do that, and I'm not saying he was equally as dominant, I noted was 2015 Jake Arrieta. Now, if you want to go apples to apples and try to compare them, Arrieta had a second half for the ages in 2015, which is why he ousted, you know, Granke and Clayton Kershaw for the Cy Young that year. But he won the Cy Young that year, performing in a way similar to the way that Sandy does, albeit like Adam would attest to with more strikeouts and though he was, he still did, I believe he still did cross 200 inning threshold. He threw a multitude of complete games and he shined in the postseason for the Cubs when they began that run. Now that's just, that's one thing. I mean, like, you know, that we generally, we generally see that when guys have a lot of velocity, if you leave them all over the plate, regardless of how hard you're throwing, you're just supplying more energy, I guess, more power for the, for the hitter to do something with it. But Sandy's ability to limit the long ball, the way that he has while doing it over such a long stretch of innings is among the more impressive things in the sport. You know, I guess you can say that if you're not going to put guys away via the K as frequently as guys say like the Grom and Scherzer do, do what Sandy does and just elicit a ridiculously high amount of ground balls. And he does that. And 
we see the company he's in. Like, if you look at the list of guys in the 21st century that don't allow home runs and pitch 200-plus innings, they're some of the best pitchers in baseball. So, you know, it's a it's definitely a nuanced way to look at it. But at the end of the day, if you can give bulk and limit the long ball, there's something incredibly valuable about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, like, I'm, I'm totally with you, Lewis, in terms of what Sandy's capabilities are and – what he's able to do if he's able to control and maintain that ground ball and that command uh, profile, because we've seen, obviously, if he doesn't, then he turns into Elias or Hernandez and that's really bad. Um, but like I said, like with, if Elias or Hernandez obviously doesn't have the same velocity, but if he were to be to have it and then someone to have some other control, he would be in that Sandy mold, not to say he'd be the same thing, but um, kind of going back to this, just with Alcantara, we see, um, just by on, on a per inning basis, he, there's no question he's a top 10 pitcher this season, but he's by no regards, is he the number one pitcher on an inning per inning ability basis. But there is no other pitcher in Major League Baseball who has been able to sustain this good of a per inning basis through a sheer volume of 200 plus 220 innings, right? This is what I'm trying to say is that this is Sandy's award by sheer volume just because he has brute forced his way through the season and has horse hit the Marlins through a really, really rough season. If it wasn't for Sandy Alcantara, they probably would have much higher odds in picking in the, the, um, the major league draft lottery for number one, if it wasn't for him. And really like that's how that just shows you just how much he's carried this rotation and how much value he's had on this pitching staff and a really the, in, a, in a pitching staff that is probably a top 10 in major league baseball, probably potentially higher, but going into next year with the development of other guys. Uh, so for me, it's just, it's not it, like, you know, it's working great for Sandy and the MO works until it doesn't. And the Cardinals have, are guilty of a similar profile as well. Right. And I've been on the record saying before that I'm not a huge fan of the Cardinals pitching profile, just simply because it's not, it's safe until the guys lose that command. And in the, day and age where whiffs and just making sure the ball is not put in play at all at any cost is very highly valued. You know, the Cardinals have been getting away with it because they're making sure they're developing their guys with command control. But you, in my opinion, I like to have that safety nets and you can't go wrong with that. And you can, if you do a good job, you can develop pitchers very, very well because our pitching, um, our pitching metrics and our ability, our kinematics available for pitching and the raw data that we have, is much more advanced and much more analyzable, if that's a word, than what we have for hitting and definitely for defense. Like defense, we have like literally nothing. It's very, very poor. So that's what's that's really how I felt for Sandy. And like, you know, he like I said, he's our Cy Young, but it's by brute force and because he's been a horse all year. It's not because he's got the nastiest stuff or he's the he's gonna he's got the sexiest pitch. Or he's gonna like he's gonna dazzle you on the mound. He's just gonna go out there and do his thing for eight nine innings almost every single five every almost every five six days, and he's done it unlike anybody else has done it this year. He's just been extremely consistent, really good all year long. Yeah, like I mean, to attest to what you said, there's an element of theatricality to what he's doing when you watch baseball nowadays. I mean, to be honest, I, and I feel like the playoffs exploit this more than anything given the way that pitching philosophy has maybe re- progressed or regressed, depending on how traditionalist you are when it comes to how you prefer baseball to be played and how you like to watch it, 
seeing a guy go five innings in the postseason means a lot more now than it did. You know, if you were going five innings in the postseason, say, 30 years ago, you either didn't pitch well or you just pitched okay to kind of just hand the ball off your bullpen. But in an era when that kind of is commonplace, and I believe I don't I believe last year was maybe the first year where relievers threw more innings than starting pitchers. I could be wrong on that, but I did read something that did that did stray along those lines. I'll probably have to do more and get back to you guys on that. The, the like the brute force, the volume of innings that Sandy has thrown is a hallmark to what baseball was maybe I guess a decade ago or not even a, like a like in the ha- the past half decade, we've kind of just gotten away from this idea of throwing 200 innings. I mean, I want to give you guys a trivia question. How many pitchers threw 200 innings last year, and can you name them? Pitchers, um, 200 innings. I'll okay, my head. See. I'd have to like cheat, but four. It was Walker Bueller, Adam Wainwright, Sandy Alcantara, and Zach Wheeler. Okay. This year, I knew I knew Alcantara was like okay. Now now that I remember, I knew Alcantara was one of them because I remember Isaac in their group chat saying, "Oh, there was like one who has done two hundred plus innings back to back," and I think Alcantara was one of them. The other Marlin to do it is Dontre Willis, and I believe Carl Pavano had done it before. The other three here: Aaron Nola, Sandy Alcantara, and I believe there was one other pitcher. And I apologize for leaving out. But that's just the thing, though. There's just something in this day and age with baseball. There are baseball fans who are coming of age right now who, if you told them that a guy like Felix Hernandez threw 249 innings in the year he won the Cy Young Award, they would be like, oh, my God, like, that's that's a lot. Like, how did he not blow out? And, you know, with a guy like Stanley doing this now, it's product of I don't know it, it, it's just a it's a throwback in in that sense and I know innings pitch are very I, I guess they're very like pre-modern not even pre-modern they're just like a very not like an analytically inclined metric but I don't think that detracts from his value but I want to ask you guys this and this is maybe just a thought on the state of the Marlins competitively do you think that he's had to shovel more of the load and some of his statistics are reflective of the fact that the offense just doesn't score? We talk about the Marlins. I told you guys they average the fewest runs per game in the National League, 3.62 runs per game. They have the third lowest adjusted OPS plus in the National League, trailing only the Pirates and I believe the Reds. Does Sandy pitching in a lot of very low-scoring games – is the reason he goes maybe so beyond him just being an effective pitcher, do you think he has to shovel more of a load because the guys don't score him enough runs? We see Urias and a drawback that people have with voting for him beyond mere value accrued is the lack of innings. I believe he's yeah. on 175 innings this year, and that's 53 and two-thirds less than Sandy. But when you're in the position that the Dodgers are in and mm-hmm. you have or balanced roster all across the board, you can kind of afford to rest those guys. Now, does that, now that I've maybe put that thought in your head, if you've not had it before, does that maybe detract a little bit from what he's done, or does it not, given that he's still prevented runs at such a rate with the level, with the number of innings that he has thrown? So in a a, a world where we're kind of um, finding a happy medium between what happened versus what should have happened. I think you can kind of say that, yes, like you can, 
it's fine. You it, you can you can't really blame him for having to pitch these sheer number of innings because he's just put in a situation. He's cast in the role that he's in, and he is making the best out of the, the situation he is he's he's put into. Right. So Mattingly will say, okay, he's through six, through seven. Our bullpen isn't the greatest. It's we're only we're only up one run, one run, run two runs up right now. Uh, Sandy, can you get us another inning or two, even if it means going into maybe 100, 110 pitches, and he'll do it. And, you know, I see other – like, and I think the the way I'm mitigating for what really should have happened or what is happening is because Sandy is making the best out of a really, really tough situation that other pitchers may not really be in. Because I thought about it, like, who's to say that with um, – who's, like, really good, like Carlos Rodon – Who's to say he would continue this kind of success over the next 50? Because he's quite literally pitched 50 innings less than Sandy Alcantara, even though he has about a, a one win higher, or sorry, half a win higher in terms of Fangraph's war than Sandy Alcantara. Let's, you know, he could be, he could start wearing down. You can, you never know what happened. And granted, the guy missed two starts or missed a start compared to Sandy. But I think it really doesn't detract from his season at all, Lewis, just because. With Sandy, like being cast in the role that he's in, it all it only makes it more difficult, in my opinion, that you have to throw this many innings, and that's kind of the credence that I've given to everyone since August when I made that statement. Maybe I'm just also we got roasted for quite a bit for it, but in general, I think that you kind of do need to see, hey, even though this is what should have happened, you need to play the game eventually, and you need to take into account what actually did, because at some point, where do you draw the line? between theoretical and practical like between praxis and theory so you want to actually put into account what's actually happening at some point and i think that is that you can you can kind of take into account both and that's why i think averaging b war and f4 is the best way to do it and i think anyway like by sheer volume of innings it's sandy and i i really don't think that like like you said detract it doesn't detract from the fact that he's had to throw and he's been thrown into that gauntlet because if like other guys have done it, like other guys have pitched 200 innings, but they're not as effective as Sandy. So here's another stat for you on a sheer run prevention perspective, because I guess he just, you know, he is an ERA champion given that he doesn't put guys away. So FIP will always kind of play against him. Alcantara never posted a month this season where his ERA was over three. Every single month this season, he posted a sub three ERA. He went 22 times he pitched into the seventh inning. Do we know what his highest ERA was in maybe sure, a month? 293. Wow. Do you know what his whip was that month? It was 0.97 in that span of games. And yet he had the third highest case per nine. He had the best strikeout to walk ratio that month. So mm-hmm. a little bit more contact. But that being said, like it just is a testament to him. You know, I mean, you even if you it, there's a million different look at it. If you look at win probability added, mm-hmm. he's the most valuable pitcher because of what we just talked about, and that he has to pitch so many high leverage innings. You talk about um, situational win probability added, four point four. Alcantara is the best. He's he's the best pitcher in the National League when it comes to arising, rising to the occasion, and. Again, it's just, I mean, there's a consistency to his performance. You look at hitters leading off the inning, they hit 167. Um, the first batter of the of the game, one, 167. Leading off an inning, 164. 
collective OPS, 422 for those guys. He just, you know, regardless of where you are in the batting order, regardless of when it is in a game, he kind of just maintains this very even-keeled degree of, um, I guess, just performance. Mm-hmm. Right? So, But there are metrics that do say otherwise. Um, that being said, though, I you know, the big, maybe if the, the biggest thing is you want to look at how he performs later in games, he hasn't he hasn't allowed an earned run in the ninth inning. He didn't allow an earned run in six nine inning uh, appearances this season. Is the ERA in the eighth inning? He pitched into the eighth inning sixteen times this year, two thirty five. So again, his ERA in the sixth inning is four. But the later he gets into those games, his ERA just gets better and better because he feels the momentum. His arm is like it feels like he's just getting loose. Uh, opponent's batting average goes down in those innings. Like he just, again, there's just something about, you know, like you could pitch a lot of innings a la like a Jack Morris in the eighties and, and finish with an ERA around four and they're valuable innings, but they're not valuable in the sense that you're going to be up for a rewards voting on a yearly basis. But when you can pitch a high number of innings and prevent runs at the rate that he is, again, it just, it's for the lack, um, to say I'm, you know, repeating myself one thing, but I, I think that's just one of the things that makes him special. Let me um, ask you guys. I'm looking at more stats from Sandy, and, and obviously I want to just, you know, go ahead and define some more stats for me for people that don't know. I'm looking at win probability. He had a point six in 2020, 2.4 in 2021, 5.5 in 2022. Um, can you guys maybe help define, because I know you just mentioned um, win probability added, Lewis. Can you go uh, up? really define what that means in terms for a pitcher and maybe the number that Sandy posted this year and how maybe that affects also his maybe Cy Young case and maybe how great of a year Sandy's having just with the win probability. Yeah. I mean, again, it's situational. We just talked about his ability to kind of show up when he's chasing complete games. And generally you will see that um, WPA leaders for pitchers tend to be relievers because they're in, um, a lot of the times when probability average does take into account leverage index, that's why there is a stat called situational win probability added. And because the Marlins play so many low scoring games, Alcantara is the leader in both respective categories of just general win probability added, i.e. when he's on the field, he has helped his team more than any other pitcher in the National League. And situationally, when the team needs him the most to win, he has been the most effective pitcher. So win probability added is you know, and Adam, you can add on to this. Um, it's more of an assessment of how you kind of, like I said, rise to the occasion and are able to maybe put out fires that either could start or ones that did start, and you kind of just want to limit the damage. He, in this case, has been best at doing that. Yeah, so there is kind of one gripe I have with the whole idea of wins probably added Lewis, and it's it, it kind of seems like it's the term clutches way of trying to get in the uh, the analytics world and we're just not going to let it happen because you can't really account for a mental aspect of a player in a situation and see oh is he more clutch than another player mm-hmm. because it's a random event right and in statistics we want we want to account for an event's randomness as much as possible and we want an, we want trials to be randomly conducted and because we don't want any systematic bias, and even though that has nothing really to do with the situation, we just don't want to have any sort of clutch factor working in its way here. 
for me, it's not really something that you want to look into because I think one of, at the time when Juan Soto hit his triple, which turned into like you know a, a big catastrophe, like Trent Grisham in the 2019 wild card. I think at the time that was like the highest WPA play, and that really should have been in Major League Baseball playoff history, and or it might have been Major League Baseball history. I'm not 100 sure, but regardless, it was a single that Trent Grisham botched in right field that he bobbled. And Soto made his way around the bags and the bases were loaded and just happened to score three runs and it tied the game and it was in the eighth inning. And, you know, that's there's so many like variables that are in the, so many uh, unnecessary independent variables that are messing with the whole equation. Right. So you have the eighth inning, you have the seventh inning or the sixth inning whether you're pitching in any inning is irrelevant, right? Because what an inning is an inning mm-hmm. in, a, in a normative sense, right? So that's why we see wins project. That, that's, that's my gripe and my issue with WPA. And Lewis, kind of what you were saying, it's more of a, it's more correlative with st- statistics that you do use to pick the, the award winners or the ones you kind of use to compare and contrast more than it is the predictor itself, WPA. Yeah, I mean, if you really want to look at like it, like regardless of whether you take stock in it, look at the turn of the century and pitchers who have post starting pitchers because again, relievers tend to accrue it a lot more because they're in higher leverage spots, at least as um, win probability added uses as a barometer for I guess garnering value. If you look at the pitchers who posted win probability added seasons of five or higher. Alcantara posted more WPA this year than 2014 Clayton Kershaw did. And I don't know if you guys remember that season. That was 198 innings of a 170-70 ERA and one of the best pitching seasons in recent memory. Even if, you know, you're playing in Dodger Stadium and all that, um, when probability added still accounts for situations like you noted. But the seasons that Alcantara is kind of sandwiched between in this sense are some of the better pitching seasons we've seen in the first part of the 21st century. I mean, you got like, 2009 Zach Greinke, 2000 Randy Johnson, Cy Young, Cliff Lee. Like these are, you know, it's definitely, like you said, a good indicator for awards voting because almost every name on this list in each respective season took home the highest honor that we generally give to pitchers. Yeah, and and looking at the other stats that we saw with WPA, one that I was looking at, I don't know if you guys can explain this to me and and maybe for some other people, the RE24, I was looking at that. That's a set I've never really heard of. And it showed that Sandy had a percentage of almost, I believe, 30 percentage points from 2021 to 2022. I don't know if that's something to look at, that's something to even mention. But uh, do you guys, is RE24 even a stat that's even used? Right. So, Daniel, to kind of answer your question, the RE24 metric that you're looking at, I actually did kind of a project on it my sophomore year of college where we were looking at the change. It's basically what it is. It measures the difference or the change in run and run expectancy from the beginning of the pl- the plate appearance or the at bat to the very end of it for the diff for the 24 different base out scenarios there are in baseball and really what that means just a bunch of jargon to say okay you've got guys on different bases and you know different outs in the inning and a guy at the at the plate mm-hmm. and there's the different combinations there's 24 of them so um, what this really means is we're seeing the amount, like the difference in uh, what's the, the sorry, the change in run expectancy from the beginning of an average Sandy Alcantara plate appearance when he's on the mound to the very end of it. Um, 
what is that? Sign? And so in this regard, if you're seeing that Sandy is much lower or higher, I, I didn't actually look where the where he is on the leaderboard. Obviously, when we, we have that number, it kind of gives it's it's very similar to I think this is this is one where I kind of do like to see more. It's very similar to W. It's similar in a, in a way to WPA, but I like it more because it kind of just gives you it, it's it's a little bit more. Um, it's easier to use in a, in a simulation where you can kind of see different ways that a player, like you, you can calculate many different ways and see it in different kind of situation in many different scenarios, what can happen and how he's, how he's performed in those situations. So Sandy in this regard, I'm guessing he's done pretty well, but that's really what it is with RE24, uh, Daniel, to kind of answer your question. The higher the number, the more runs the higher the run expectancy that he has prevented as a result of him being on the mount. Yeah. And just looking at the other stats, I, I think another one we got to look at is war. Probably, you know, we really can signify how a player's done that season. And, and I was looking at, at the war for Sandy from different sites. And you look at baseball reference, having him in an 8.1. And then you also have, I believe, fan graphs at the 5.7. Lewis, when we went to the game. You showed me a whole bunch of different wars from different players, fan graphs, ref, baseball reference. Um, why is there such a big divide between graphs and reference in terms of their war for Sandy? Is that something to look at? Well, it's maybe not like 8.1. Another one site has 7.8. It's 8.1. Another site has 5.7. It's uh, almost three full points. Is that just something that fan graphs does? Are they more meticulous to their maybe how they get war compared to baseball reference? And how do you see that those sides for Sandy in terms of war? The way that war works, I guess, with Fangraphs, Fangraphs does tend to value certain things over others. I mean, you know, baseball reference, I guess you could say, is maybe the more traditional baseball statistical um, reference site as opposed to Fangraphs because Fangraphs is rooted more in analytics. And a lot of guys who write for them, you know, do tend to kind of move on and get jobs with organizations like a Devin Fink or... um, you know, a couple of other people that I'm maybe not naming. Uh, with I guess with Fangraphs, Fangraphs does tend to um, give more credence to pitchers who do a better job at limiting walks, and they do value strikeouts in the way that Adam was talking about it. So they're very FIP-dependent. They're very strikeout-dependent. Look at a guy like Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease, by baseball reference war, I believe, has 6.4 war, but Fangraphs has him at, like, 4.4 because he led the American League in walks this year but he was also very effective when it came to striking guys out. So it didn't totally warp his value, but there's a variance there because they have two different things that they value. I guess baseball reference, maybe when you look at them, you can kind of assess, all right, they're more maybe on the run prevention side. They don't really care as much about how it's done. They just kind of care that you're actually doing it. And that's maybe why Sandy is where he is on baseball reference and where he is on fan graphs. They see that he doesn't put guys away with the propensity that say a freed would or a Scherzer when he's healthy or even DeGrom if he's giving you 30 starts. Um, that being said, again, it's still a five and a half win season is still incredibly valuable, but uh, baseball perspectives too has a different version of war. I'm not sure off the top of my head what they have for Sandy, but they just take different factors into account, or at least they ascribe more value to different facets of what a player does respective to his positional peers that uh, gives them their total value. Yeah. So, oh, so no, screen. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. No. So the reason why baseball reference war is different from 
Fangraph's War is because Fangraph's War takes into account FIP into their war calculation, the pitching war calculation, that is, whereas Baseball Reference takes into account runs allowed per nine. And that's where I kind of was having an issue with early on. That's my that's always been kind of my gripe with Fang or sorry, baseball reference pitching war, just simply because it's not really taken into account um, somewhat of a luck factor in what's some of the things that a pitcher can't really control for on his own. And I think in my world, I, I value the independence of a guy and what he can do on his own a lot more just in general. I admire that. So I think with a guy like um, like a, uh, a Carlos Rodon who has had more individual success than any other pitcher in Major League Baseball, according to Fangraph's war, um, he was kind of like the guy I was looking at earlier. So that's like that's kind of the difference between FIP and baseball reference war. And the reason why you're seeing Sandy having a much higher uh, pitching ref or sorry, baseball reference war is because a the sheer number of volume and they take into account that in in their calculation. And B is because he's allowed very few runs and especially a very, very, very low home run rate. If you look at Fangraph's war, they're going to take into account the independent pitch, uh, pitching metrics, right? We talked about strikeouts. We talked about walks. We talked about home runs. The three, the, the three true outcomes in baseball. Uh, because Sandy is not super, super proficient in the strikeout metrics, the walks and the home runs, he's very, very good, which is booing him. Booing um, his pitching war, if anything, in fan graphs. However, he's only striking out eight guys per nine innings, and like we mentioned, he's a he's a finesse guy who's gonna low. He's gonna ride on that lower spin to really make guys um, to really confuse guys with his fastball because it's just gonna be absolutely filthy because it's just uh, he's throwing at hundred miles an hour. But regardless, you've got guys who are striking out more, four more guys, up to four more guys per nine with Shohei, Rodon, Garrett Cole, Dylan Cease. Corbin Burns, and I guess if you really want to stick into the National League, you wouldn't really, you, you know, I'll just mention the other guys. But for me, that's that for like, I mean, no, not for me. That's really the reason why um, Sandy is lagging behind in Fangraphs, just because he's not leading in the category of strikeouts, or he's really lagging behind in that. And that just happens to be a very, very important metric for Fangraphs, especially when you're taking into account that they really like putting away the batter as, as quickly as possible and not even allowing him to even get the opportunity to put the ball in play or risk a base runner reaching base, right? So that's why Fangraphs, for me, kind of wins out a little bit. But for awards, you average them out, and it's still bad. But that's 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 the kind of the reason why they differ and why Sandy is such a polarizing, like a near-binary difference in between one and the other. So... Yeah. That's that, that's kind of the reason why. And and also looking at some other big, you know, Sandy stats, um, you know, I, I believe Lewis gave me this stat a couple of days ago about how Sandy um, has faced or, or saw the most hitters in the majors. I believe he's at 886. Mm-hmm. How, how is it when you just have a guy like that, just seeing guy, a guy almost seeing a thousand, a thousand hitters in the major league and still providing you, with that low FIP, the low ERA, getting guys out, going in long innings, and still seeing almost a thousand guys. Uh, I like I said, it's you know to not repeat myself. And by the way, the third guy to throw two hundred innings was uh, Miles Michaelis, a guy that Adam kind of talked about, where he may not be a Fangraphs darling because he doesn't strike guys out, but he also kind of just induces a lot of soft contact because he's a two seam sinker guy. Um, that being said, again, it's just. 
it just kind of circles back to the way that baseball reference values Sandy and that what actually happened on the field is that he was inning for, well, not even inning for inning, just at the end of the day, he was the most valuable because he was out there the longest and he kind of, and that didn't necessarily deter performance. I think that's why he was where he is and that's why he faced the number of hitters that he did. And I mean, like, listen, if you want to chalk it up this way, I'm sure Fangraphs put some value in the fact that he was sixth in hits for nine in the National League while also facing the most batters. <laughs> so not only do you do a great job at preventing hits, at least allowing them in bunches, but you also face more people than anybody else. So it's like, okay, this year you're out a lot. You're out of, you're out here on the mound a lot of the time, but there ain't many guys that are getting on base against you. Yeah. Um, and, and just for, for Sandy and, you know, seeing all those hitters, just uh, let me ask you also, Adam, just what kind of value is it, you know, ha- having a guy like that and just going inning by inning by inning and, and still seeing multiple guys and, you know, you have him at their eighth or ninth inning and he's throwing up to 110, 100, almost maybe 120 pitches by the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, it, it's something that is very impressive, definitely. Uh, but there's kind of a reason as to why it's been phased out of Major League Baseball because mm-hmm. you want to see – you value the longevity of a pitcher over the course of his career rather than what he can do in the, over the course of a regular season. And especially when you have a guy um, who is as young as Sandy Alcantara, you want to be able to last him. And especially when you can, in a day and age where we're leveraging relievers um, or we're valuing relievers, I should say, in much in a much higher circumstance than we used to, um, exploiting them or using them in much higher leverage situations than we used to in many different ways, starting them, uh, it, the the list goes on and on with the reasons why relievers have just been more valuable. And I think it just kind of goes to show that Sandy has defied and turned back the clock in a way back maybe 10 years because this was the norm to pitch 200 innings. Now we're seeing the best teams, even guys who are elite starters being capped at 160, 170 because they're being we're, – we're now seeing two, three, four guys out of the bullpen throw 80, 90 fire innings, guys like – a Ryan Helsley or a Giovanni Gallegos on the Cardinals um, instead of having Wayne Wright go eight, nine innings like he used to, right? And that's obviously because he's much older, but in general, that's what the trend is going in regard in, in total. Obviously, Michaelis broke that, but mm-hmm. for me, uh, that's kind of what Sandy has been very good at this year. Yeah. I mean, so- even crazier is like, you know, we talk, I think the biggest thing as far as pitching philosophy goes when we talk about guys throwing less innings is the biggest, maybe the biggest caveat that uh, coaching staffs have at keeping maximizing output from pitchers on an inning for inning basis is the times through the order effect. And we always say, like, you know, exit velocity maybe tends to go up slightly with guys as they face hitters a third time. But if you look at mere output against Sandy, they have he has an opponent OPS, his opponent OPS third time through the order. And 35 less plate appearances is the same as it is the second time through the order, 638. So, you know, you ain't not very productive. <laughs> You're not really getting any better. And then fourth time through the order, again, 15 times he faced hitters four times or more this year. Um, 59 plate appearances, a 456 OPS. So, again, he's just wow. an, yeah, deeper in games. He's a, he's a unicorn. He's a unicorn in that he doesn't belong – 
in this baseball universe. He just <laughs> and there's really no other way to put that. I mean, he just deeper he gets into the game, the worse the hitters tend to get. Yeah, and because I we you know like Sandy still fourth type, still throwing over a hundred miles per hour, still throwing heat, still still you know one of the best pitchers even that deep um, in the game. And we're pretty uh, deep in this pod. We're almost 50 minutes now. Um, this is, you know, our, our first episode of Fishology. Try doing this every week, maybe bi-weekly. Um, see if you can get more players, think of more players in the Marlins so we can go deep dive on their stats. Uh, but let us know what you think. Uh, go like, share, subscribe to the, to the uh, obviously, YouTube channel and the podcast network where you're going to get all that. Follow us on Twitter. Adam, Lewis, I want to thank you so much for coming on. You know, now you're on here. Now we got to do this every week. You know, Kevin, Isaac, they have unfiltered, but Fishology is where it's going to be at. This is the yeah. this is a new podcast now. Fishology. And, and I want to thank also Eli for helping us out, um, recording everything, getting everything uh, set up. Couldn't have done it without him. But this is just the beginning. This is Fishology episode one, and there's still plenty more to come. So thank you for listening, and stay tuned.